Happy New Year. I know it's already been said once or twice, but Happy New Year to you. What does um, 2022 have in store for us? No idea, but I suspect it's going to be good. Because if the Lord's in it, it's going to be good. Amen? All right, so uh, some say that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Now, I don't know. That may or may not be true. But today on this first Sunday of 2022, we're going to consider newness, change, and how it is connected to our unchanging God. I've, I've probably shared with you before, I have a vivid imagination. I like to picture things. I like to see them. But then I also, like, my imagination will run wild. And so when I think of God's unchangeableness, and that is a word, by the way, also called immutability, which just means that God is unchanging, this is what I think of. A mountain. And I know it's not far-fetched because the Bible describes our God in many places as a solid rock. And what rock is more solid than a granite mountain, right? A mountain, by and large, is not going to move, right? It's not going to change. Our God does not change. And the Bible tells us, talks a lot about God's unchangeableness in Malachi God says of himself that he does not change. Okay, I keep forgetting that I am 50 years old. So here we go. And I have the larger print Bible too. He who is the glory of Israel in 1 Samuel. Samuel is talking to Saul and he says to Saul, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a human being that he should change. His mind. James 1 says this Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And then in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Good, thank you. You are listening and you know a little bit of your Bible. So I appreciate that. But why does God, who apparently is quite content with being the same yesterday and today and forever, why does he do so many new things? So God, does God get tired of his surroundings? Sort of like a restless homeowner who needs to change the drapes and move the furniture around and uh, paint the walls. Every time you walk in the room, you trip over the ottoman because it wasn't there the day before. I'm not speaking from experience. I'm just saying sometimes people like to move furniture around, right? Because they they like to change their surroundings. But is that our God? No. Thank you. No. No, that's not how our God is, but there is a lot of change that takes place in our lives, actually in the universe, for that matter, and there's new all around us every day. In fact, the only thing that stays the same is change, always changing, and yet our God does not change. So let's take the mountain analogy a little bit further. This is a photo of Morrow Rock in the Sequoia National Park in the southern Sierra Nevada mountains in California. Just think of everything in contact with that mountain. That mountain is huge. There are people on the top of that mountain. So that's very deceptive, that picture. There are t- the people are so tiny you can't even discern them. The streams, think about the things that are in contact with that mountain. The streams that flow from the melting snow in the spring and the animals, the plant life, and the trees. The Sierra Nevada mountains are home to the giant sequoia, also known as the sequoia dendron giganteum. 
appropriate name for a huge tree, a tree that can grow hundreds of feet into the air, actually can grow up to 350 feet tall, and it can live for hundreds, even thousands of years, all on the slope of a mountain. In fact, the giant sequoia lives best at the higher altitudes of five to 7,000 feet that only a mountain can offer. All this life, all this activity on the surface of a mountain, the mountain stays put, yet everything the mountain touches is constantly changing. So at the risk of stretching the mountain analogy to its breaking point maybe, let's look at a few things with which God has come in contact throughout the Bible. Maybe we will find the answer to the question of why an unchanging God is so seemingly fixated on change and what that has to do with us. So in King's Island, we have what we call a timeline. Isn't that right, kids? We have a timeline painted on the wall, and we have pictures in the biblical timeline of history so that we can know and kind of settle on and know what happens when uh, and when we're talking about our, the Bible stories. So today we have a timeline in big church, but it's kind of like a timeline on a cord. Just like that. Wow. Check it out. So we're going to find out about this timeline and what is on it. And I'm going to give myself a little bit more room. And let's find out what the timeline has and where it starts. And then you'll get an idea maybe what's going on. So today, we're going to start with the beginning. And in the beginning, there was nothing. And then God creates everything just by speaking it into existence. A new universe and everything in that universe created by God by just the word of his mouth. A new creation, perfect. And in that new universe, God created the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve brought sin into the world through their disobedience. And it broke our relationship with God. But God created a way for sin to be covered, a new way for God to stay connected with humans through the sacrificial system. Now, before the flood, the ground, the Bible tells us the grounds were watered by streams that came up out of the ground. But after the flood, we were given a new ecosystem with something called rain and snow, along with a lot of uh, some other wonderful phenomenon, the rainbow. And then there was a man named Abram, called by God to a new land with a new promise. And it started with a new baby born to a man and a woman who were way past their prime. And Abram, who God renamed Abraham, showed us just how much one human can trust in God and displayed faith in a promise so grand that his earthly eyes would never fully perceive it. And part of that grand promise to Abraham was the family of Jacob. Who was Abraham's grandson? They were also known as the children of Israel. And this family, now more than a million people, found themselves as slaves in Egypt. But God heard their cries and he rescued them. And in the process of rescuing them, he parted the Red Sea in an incredible miracle. And then he collapsed the sea upon the Egyptian army who was pursuing them. But, and after that, God brought them to a mountain and he handed down the blueprint for a new society and made a new covenant with the people of Israel through a man named Moses. And this blueprint was tailor-made for a group of people who only knew life as a slave. But now we're suddenly a free people. So they needed a set of rules to live by, a new society. As time went on, though, these children of Israel, the Jewish people, 
drifted farther and farther and farther away from God until God finally said enough is enough. And they were soon overrun by the nations around them and the children of Israel were scattered across the land in exile, far, far from their homeland. But God did not abandon his people. In fact, he gave them something to look forward to in anticipation. It was much bigger than coming back home. I'm going to read from Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. Because God speaks to Israel's unfaithfulness and what he had planned to do about it here in Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. God's reminding the people of Israel. You remember what I did for you hundreds of years ago? I can rescue you, but I don't rescue the same way. I rescue in different ways. Because this is what he says next. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm what? Doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink. Now, remember this, because I give, to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. This is what he spoke to the people of Israel. And if you weren't sure, just to confirm it, Jesus is the new thing that Isaiah was speaking of when it comes to the people of Israel and talking about in Isaiah. Jesus coming as God coming as a new presence on the earth. Yes. God came down in the form of a cloud or in the form of a the pillar of fire over the tabernacle, but God is coming as a new presence in the form of a baby. Israel's hard heart and rebellion disqualified her from what, was, what she was originally called to be, but she's now scattered and broken. Israel, the people, were all, along, all around by their own doing, but God still desired to bless all the nations by doing a new thing. And Jesus' birth, which we celebrated just eight days ago, was the seedling of that new thing, a new covenant. And for hundreds of years, from Isaiah's time and even before Isaiah's time to the birth of Christ, God's faithful people anticipated the new that was to come. For example, as we read uh, in Luke 2 at, at Christmas time for the account of Jesus' birth, but so often we read in Luke 2, but toward the end of that chapter, we read about a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna who both were anticipating the arrival of the Messiah and Jesus Christ. And, and when each of them saw him at the temple, eight, just eight days old, they rejoiced and they prophesied and they told everyone they met about the good news of Jesus' birth. Now, Jesus grew into adult and began his ministry, and he taught the people about God, things they had never heard before. Some things were new, and some things were old teachings presented in a new way. John 13, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Was this a new idea that they were supposed to love one another? No, but Jesus was putting the importance of why they needed to love one another so that the rest of the world recognized that there's something different about us Christians, us Jesus 
followers. Now, as Pastor Noah spoke about just last week, sometimes new is not welcome. Jesus' teachings and eventually the teachings of his followers like Peter and Stephen and later Paul challenged the long-established, just slightly twisted system that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had in place. They liked their exclusive, structured system of rules, but Jesus was introducing this new way of looking at the law, not throwing it out the law. He was living it out in a way that no one else in history had ever been capable of doing. He was fulfilling it. And as a result, he broke through the captivity the law held us in and offered us life, new life. But people rejected this new approach and perspective of the law because it was change. So what about you? What change are you rejecting? How's that for a cold bucket of water? Is God calling you to do something difficult? To speak up? To stand up for someone? You're aware of the right thing to do, but you're having a hard time going through with it. Having that hard conversation. Are you thinking about that new job opportunity or volunteer opportunity? But it's going to be so much change, so different. It's not sure. Maybe it's committing to giving more to the church. Yes, it'll take some adjustment. It'll take some change. But God blesses. There's, this one, there's that one thing that you can't let go of that's got a grip on you, maybe. It's going to take some work to let go. It's going to take some change. Maybe the people around you, the people you're hanging out with, your associates, your connections, are not good influences. And it's time to make a change with the people you're around. Maybe you need to meet somebody new. You've got to step out of your comfort zone, your circle of friends, and meet somebody new. Make a new friend. Go out to coffee. Go out to lunch. But it's, I might not like them. Maybe not, but you might. How else would you know? Maybe it's your New Year resolution. Maybe you're here today on this snowy day, the first time because you've decided, I'm starting to come back to church. Wonderful. God bless you. Keep it up. When it comes to change, when it comes to new, that idea can hold us back. We say we want a new phone, but then we complain when we have to learn the new operating system. And we're like, what are these new widgets? And why is my text up on the top now? How do I get this down? Right? We love change until it's a change that's a little too new. Then we hate it. But we have to embrace change and newness if we want what God has for us. We have to let go of the things that are not of God and run to the rock that is higher than I, as it says in Psalm 61. So are you ready? Let's go. Let's discover or remind ourselves, depending on where you are with your walk with Jesus, what newnesses we have available to us. So I'm going to slide on back over here. In 2 Corinthians... Verse 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is here. When I chose to put, um, when we choose to put Jesus in charge of our life, we decide to 
follow his teachings and what that are found in the Bible, and he trades our old life for a new life. <laughs> I did the wrong one. That's okay. We have a new life. He disconnects our, us from our old way of living and connects us to a new way of living. It's why when we baptize, we say, giving you the freedom to rise and walk in newness of life, in a brand new life. If you're hearing this idea for the very first time, or if you're ready to move into the new, please don't let this day go past without stepping toward the Lord. He promises he will run toward you when you make that step. But for many of you, that may have been a long time ago when you were first given a brand new life. And although that's everything, it's not so new anymore. Well, I'm happy to inform you that there's another new that we have available to us every single day. And it's described in the kind of downer of a book of Lamentations. Now, I know it's not truly a downer of a book because it legitimizes the real human experiences of suffering and emotions that most of us know in one form or another. We've been there. So if we avoided reading through the doom and gloom of, uh, I mean, the beautifully structured poetry of Lamentations, we would miss this gem of a passage I'm about to read. In these verses of Lamentations, chapter 3, you'll hear some very sad descriptions of how the people of Israel felt. This was after their exile, and this was them remembering what, how things were, and the, the, the awful punishment that they had been through. And some of these descriptions might ring true with you, maybe even in the recent past. We've all been through a lot these past two years. Some of us have suffered loss, heartache, pain, disappointment, fear, uncertainty. You've been beaten up, abandoned, and some have lost friends and family even just recently, and it's very easy for us to shake our fist at God, though I don't recommend it. But I do understand the feeling, and so does Jesus. Let's see how the writer of Lamentations describes the plight of the Israelite people. And then, let's see the turning point. Lamentations 3. Now, I'm not going to read all of Lamentations 3. I'm just going to hit the, the low lights. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me away. He's turned my, his hand against me. He's made my skin and flesh grow old. Even when I call out or cry for help, he sh shuts out my prayer. Ever felt that way? Ever felt like a bear, a bear lying in wait or a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me? Ever felt that way? Ever felt your heart pierced by arrows? This is, this is speaking of God. He's broken my teeth with gravel and he's trampled me in the dust. Now I'll pick it up at verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Here's the turn. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
What a blessing of a series of verses. His compassions are new every morning. Great faithfulness. Some translations say mercies, God's mercies. God's compassion toward us is renewed every morning. And to me, that is a relief to know that I can't use up his compassions. I'm grateful for that. How about you? Are you grateful that God's compassions are renewed every single day for you, your family? Did did his teeth get fixed in the scripture? Did the did was the was the arrow removed from his heart? No. The perspective changed. His teeth were still broken. He still felt mangled. He still felt trampled. But yet, he remembered what God has done for him. And God's hope and his love and his perspective changed. And then he could say, great is your faithfulness. So these are, new life and new compassions daily, are great, are wonderful, right? And in fact, I live these blank because they're personal. They're yours. They're mine. We have new life because of him. We get new compassions daily. But they pivot on this, the new covenant. And here's what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews 8.13 says, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And suddenly the new covenant with the Israelites is an old covenant. That's why we have the Old Testament. And now... We have a new covenant, a new testament, because of Jesus. Slide a little bit farther over this way. Because now I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts for communion. Right here. The new covenant. The body and blood of Christ. So as we sit at the table together as a family, a church family, Let's not forget about this universe-disrupting new thing that Jesus did for us. The sacrifice that he made for us. Before we begin, I want to remind you that our communion table is open to all believers. But we ask that young children, because of this weighty burden of examining oneself carries, young children refrain from it. But for the same reason, we're going to briefly talk, let let the weight of what Jesus did for us settle on our hearts. And maybe even consider the words from Lamentations. Are we seeking the Lord? Do we wait on him? Are we sitting quietly? Can we say, the Lord is my portion? I'm just going to take a moment and consider these things and consider the, the newness that God has done over history. Consider our part and peace in it. Here where we stand with him. In Luke 22, it's the moment when Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he 
broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And if we take this time to consider, to consider. Because in Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells the people, don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner because you'll be sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So he implores us to examine ourselves before we eat and drink because otherwise we can eat and drink judgment against ourselves. That's why we take a moment to do this. We judge ourselves so we won't be judged. Take a moment right now. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us, for your unchangeableness and the newness. How can it be? Only through you. We thank you for the body of your son who came as a little baby for the purpose of dying for us. Take our place to usher in a new covenant. We lift up this bread as a symbol of your body with the desire to never forget what you've done for us. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke, Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, in his blood. The old covenant used animal blood. But our Savior's blood is what doesn't just cover our sins, it washes us clean that someday we can stand before the Lord clean all because of Jesus' righteousness. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the blood of the new covenant. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for making things new through your blood, making us new giving us compassion and mercy that's been renewed day in and day out. And we have access to it. Bless this cup. In Jesus' name, amen. So where does that leave us? Sliding over again. Here we are in the middle. The beginning of time, and we've moved on through to sort of present day. We've already had some takeaways, yet we actually, I actually haven't at least explicitly answered the question why an unchanging God is so seemingly fixated on change and what it has to do with us. We're almost there although many of you may have already been able to answer that. First, there's a couple more news that you may have guessed we have to talk about. And these are the things that we are privileged to anticipate with excitement 
because we've been given what's going to happen in the future. And that is a gift in itself. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Paul writes. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Imperishable meaning a new body that will be able to function for eternity. These bodies won't make it through eternity. I'm reminded that every morning and I wake up. There's no way this body can make it through eternity. But we're given a new body. We can look forward to that. And there's one more for today. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He, and he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And it goes on to talk about those who are not part of the family of God will not see any of that. And instead, they're going to be thrown into a lake of fire, the second death. Do any of those words sound familiar? That ending of that reading from Revelation, it's talking about to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Isaiah. Isaiah's talking about, I heard, this is what he says. I will provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people who have formed for myself that may proclaim my praise. It's the red thread of Jesus running through every new moment that we have, that's been recorded in the Bible, and I know I haven't gotten every single one of them, but it's from start to finish, from before time began to infinity. And did you hear why God did it all? And this is the answer why our God is so driven to make things new. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, can you hear this excitement? Look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God is excited that the way he made the universe now gets to be forever and ever. Do you get it? God wanted to be with us in 
this intimate relationship where he could be with his people. That's how he started it all off. And he made it new, 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 new. Everything new. To the point where there's the old earth and the old heaven was passed away. He literally moves heaven and earth to be with us. We've gone through a lot these past two years, maybe two, ye- two weeks, maybe for you two decades, maybe all your life. It's been change or it's been disruptive or maybe it doesn't feel like there's been much change at all. Maybe you feel, but through it all, God's been there. Just like that mountain, that granite mountain like a rock. We've been windblown, burned and scorched and scarred, but we've gotta look carefully for the water in the wilderness and the streams and the wasteland because bad things aren't always bad things. I'm here today to reassure you of that. Let's go back to that mountain with the giant sequoias one more time. You know, one thing that sequoias, the reason they live so long, obviously they, forest fires are a danger to, to trees, right? A forest fire. But, but sequoias have this sometimes three feet, three foot thick bark. And that can burn through as the fire rages through the forest. But then, because it's so thick, it doesn't actually kill the tree. But fire is also important to its life cycle. Not only can it survive, it survives, it's burned, it's scarred, it's hurt, but it still lives. But fire is also part of its life cycle. The fire clears the forest floor of brush and pine needles so that the tiny oat flake sized sequoia seed will actually make contact with the mineral rich soil. But the seeds stay locked in the tree's green seed cone for 10 years, maybe 20 years, they stay, the seeds stay locked in there. But along comes a little chewing squirrel or a particular beetle boring holes in the seed cone or the extreme heat of a forest fire. And then the seed cone can dry out and open up. And then it releases those tiny little oat flake sized seeds to fall on the ground. If it wasn't for the devastating, seemingly destructive forces of a, of a pesty squirrel or a little beetle or a raging fire, the giant sequoia would have difficulty reproducing, but bad things aren't always bad things. As long as your feet are on the rock, if you're hoping in him, seeking in him, waiting quietly like it says in Lamentations, God will be good to you. That's a promise. Your salvation will come from him. And his compassions for you will be renewed every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. This song we're about to sing was written by a humble man named Thomas Chisholm. Him with us gets one more week. He was born in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky in 1866, and he became a school teacher in a one-room schoolhouse when he was 16. He later became a follower of Jesus when he was 27, and when he was 36, without any formal uh, seminary training or Bible college, he became a pastor. But poor health made him leave the ministry after just one year. He went on to be an insurance salesman and quietly wrote more than 1,200 
poems throughout his life, and Great Is Thy Faithfulness was one that he wrote when he was 57. He lived to be 93 and once humbly called himself just an old shoe. This hymn didn't come from great adversity like Horatio Spafford wrote, It Is Well, after the death of his four daughters in the shipwreck. It came out of the seemingly ho-hum, quiet life of someone who was familiar with the day-to-day faithfulness of God. So if you're waiting for like some sort of miraculous healing or just-in-time rescue, you might be missing it when God just simply steers your life away from adversity without you even knowing it. And because of his great faithfulness, you actually avoided the need for a desperate intervention in the first place. Sometimes a miracle is being saved from hardship. So wherever you are, at your seat, or if you want to come to the altar, or there at home, I want to encourage you to make an altar wherever you are, and make the words of this hymn that we're about to sing your prayer and your praise. Let's proclaim his praise.
So why? Why does God do this? Why does he, an unchanging God, so, so fixated on change? For us. He does it for us. But to give him glory. He does it for us, but we're to give him glory because of it, because he wants to be with us. Doesn't it give you a whole new perspective on the beginning and the end to see them connected? This is what God wanted in the beginning. And we have the opportunity to be there. On the way out, you can take a dried, giant sequoia seed cone. There might be some seeds in there. I don't know if you could actually try and plant one, but... Some have tried, but it's just to remind you of God's faithfulness, even though, even as time goes on, you don't see a whole lot going on, but that, that tree that's growing and continuing to grow, weathering the storms, weathering fire, we have something to learn from trees. And it's something to remind you of. This is legitimate giant sequoia, Cone. God bless you, Pastor.